This is Bo Buchanan, Arizona Lodge Number 2, and I'm here speaking on the level with Jeremy Barnes. Jeremy, why don't you start out by telling me your full name, the name of your home blue lodge, and any offices or titles you have connected to that lodge. Sure thing, Bo. My name is Jeremy Barnes. Um, I'm a member of Potomac Lodge Number 5. Uh, I was Potomac's past master, well, Potomac's master in 2009. Uh, since that time, I've served as trustee, uh, also as secretary, and had a few positions in the Grand Lodge as well. And you're from Potomac, but you are in uh, Phoenix, Arizona today. Right now we're in Gilbert. Tell me why you were here. Sure. So we're here um, as a part of the dedication of the Revago Vietnam uh, Veterans Memorial that's uh, being uh, created here in Gilbert. Uh, we were invited out to bring the George Washington gavel, which Potomac uh, holds in custody. Um, and uh, we're, we're the gavel committee, uh, just, just sharing this wonderful treasure that we have with everyone that we can. Uh, we're really happy to be out here. I will say apologies for my voice. Uh, I, I got sick a couple of days ago, and uh, I'm, I'm building my voice back. Although the uh, the cigar and whiskey that we had this evening <laughs> isn't helping any. Certainly didn't help. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about. Um, so just to, real quick, tell me a little bit about the gavel. We don't have to spend a lot of time on that, but that's a pretty important thing. Sure, absolutely. So the gavel is uh, one of the implements that uh, President George Washington used in a ceremony in 1793, September 1793, to lay the cornerstone of the United States Capitol. Um, one of the other influences there was the, the trowel. Uh, that was given to Alexandria Washington Lodge Number 22, which currently meets in the George Washington Masonic National Memorial. Uh, the gavel was given to the master of Potomac Lodge at the time, Valentine Renzel, uh, who uh, eventually became the first Grand Master of Washington, D.C., uh, and we've had it in our custody ever since. Uh, it's been used by 13 different presidents, by uh, Queen Elizabeth to lay the extension of the um, British Embassy in Washington, D.C., uh, for a whole host of other events like that. Um, and again, that's the reason that we're here today, because uh, today's ceremony was a cornerstone laying and dedication. Um, and as one of the implements that uh, is kind of one of the oldest American artifacts that's participated in, this, in a ceremony like that, um, people also often have interest in bringing it to their ceremony. So again, we're, we're certainly uh, honored to be here. It's kind of a labor of love for us, uh, you know, a, a volunteer thing that we do. Um, and, and, you know, it's been an outstanding experience being here with you guys. How did how did you become a part of this gavel team or part of this you know part of a caretaker of this gavel? How did that happen? Sure, I'm, you know for me it was part of just you know sort of caring about the lodge to start with. Right, um, one of the things that that drew me to masonry um, was the, the framework of the organization and, and how um, it can be used so well to share things with other people and to improve oneself. Um, and, and as I got to know the lodge better, um, you know, I came, came into the officer line and, and started sort of, you know, being the guy around the lodge, you know, for a while. Actually, my um, my junior warden, senior warden, and, and master years, I was the, the president of what we call the Georgetown Masonic Hall Association, uh, which is sort of the landlord for our building. So I, I kind of became the guy that knew everything behind the scenes. And one of the things that we have behind the scenes at Potomac Lodge is the gavel. Um, so there, there's all the, I'll say the, the, the processing and the administration that goes along with people request the gavel. The lodge has to approve it. We have to set up the trips. People have to go on the trips. We have to deal with the, you know, the logistics of that. And the logistics of caring for the gavel, caring for a 200 and now 237-year-old, uh, if my math is right, uh, <laughs> artifact, um, you know, it's not a small thing, right? We right. Now, it's been in a few different places, but now we keep it in the U.S. Capitol Visitor Center. Um, so there's, you know, a whole kind of history associated with that and working with them as well. Um, and, and it, you know, it's it's something that 
again, as I said, you know, we've literally seen people break down into tears when they see this item that George Washington touched. You know, they're in the presence of something that George Washington held himself and used, not to mention all these other amazing people. Um, and, and kind of the ability to see that, to be around that, to share that with people is, is something that, um, you know, every time I'm a part of that, it touches me and I learn something from it. Now, I'm going to step away from the gavel here for a minute. We'll probably get back to it. But I want to get into how you discovered masonry. And usually the first thing I ask is, do you remember when you first heard of this thing called masonry? Sure. So I was in uh, in ROTC when I was in college. And uh, so, so most of the friends that I had the, the years coming out of college were all in the military. Um, and a lot of them were involved in masonry in the military. Uh, so for me, it was sort of, you know, I like to say an a, a, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C sort of thing. Um, you know, I knew a lot of people that respected masonry that were masons, and I respected them. So I figured, well, if I respect them and they're a part of this organization that they really care deeply about, you know, maybe I should start looking into it. Uh, and and so one of the one of the guys that was in my um, the military fraternity I was in in college, uh, he was a member of the Potomac Lodge. I started talking to him about it, and you know, uttered those fateful words, "How does one become a mason?" And he said, "Well, you just asked." You know, that's the first step. How long was that uh, investigation period for you? Uh, you know, not long because I, I knew him really well, right? Okay. We, we were we were very close uh, through being in the military fraternity, um, just by nature, not only of the fraternity, but of, of our personal relationship. Um, and, and he immediately said, hey, look, if this is something you're interested in, you know, I'm a member of a lodge down in D.C. We were in Baltimore at the time. Uh, and he said, I think it'd be a really great fit for you. So, you know, you should come check it out. And uh did you go investigate any other lodges or just Potomac? You know, I didn't. And in hindsight, I tell I tell people to go do that. Um, but for me, it was such a good fit, and it remains such a good fit that it, you know, there's no there's no second guessing. I'm in the right place. What uh, What was it like when you decided to join? Did Did anything change in your life? Did it, Did your routine change? Did it affect you in any way? Sure, and you know, probably the way that it, it affects me sort of speaks a lot about me personally, because I know everyone has a different experience. But but for me, it was again kind of a framework that that I could put my efforts behind. You know, I, I'm the type of person that I would rather be pointing the spotlight than in the spotlight. I do well in the spotlight, but I really enjoy being a part of something that can help a lot of people become better. And and so being able to build that framework. Um, is a really important thing for me, and, and I really found my niche there, uh, which I think is why I sort of, after I became, uh, you know, after I got out of the East and, and was a past master, I gravitated toward the, the role of secretary, you know, kind of chief operations officer. And for, for a lodge like Potomac, uh, with 400, and, you know, at the time, 475 members, um, you know, four lodges that had consolidated into us, you know, we, we are literally a business with a million dollar endowment. We've been very blessed to, to have you know, good funding behind us, a great, you know, group of guys and, you know, but things like the gavel and, and all these different things that a lot of lodges don't have. You know, a lot of lodges are, hey, we're 20 guys, we get together and our dues are 10 bucks a year and, you know, we kind of self-fund. Um, you know, at, at Potomac, it's much more, there's a structure here. And if we don't run the structure well, the lodge is not going to succeed. And, and that appealed to me, the, the ability to say, hey, look, there are processes here that we can improve. And as we improve them, everyone gets a better experience for it. You know, I, I always said, you know, going through the officer line and, and becoming master is not about being in charge. It's about serving more people. Amen. And, yeah. and the ability to do that for me um, was through those processes. 
So, so for me, you know, your question was, how did my routine change? You know, I, I really became involved in Lodge and in those processes. And like I said earlier, you know, I, I became the guy who was, you know, kind of the caretaker of the Lodge. You know, I, I lived in Baltimore. I commuted an hour down to D.C. for Lodge, so I'd take the afternoon off. You know, when I had to cook as steward, I'd be there for two, three hours just fixing stuff and, you know, whatever it may be. And, and my goal was, you know, let me do the little things that I can uh, to try and, and help other people have a better experience. You know, they don't, they don't need to know I did it. But if they have a better experience for it, then, then we're all better. What year were you raised? Uh, 2004. 2004. So you, did you get in the officer line pretty quickly then? If immediately, actually. Oh. Um, I, I got my, I actually did my second and third degree uh, in what we called a grand master's class at the time. Um, and, and in fact, the guys at Potomac were against that, and I you know, didn't understand at the time. The only reason that they uh, sort of let me do it is because they were... Uh, they were exemplifying the third degree, and I was the exemplar. So mm. I got the second degree kind of en masse, but my third degree was Potomac giving me the third degree at the Grand Master's class. Oh, uh, cool. That's uh, pretty cool. I did that because I was going to Africa, <clears throat> and I wanted to hopefully go visit the lodge. I said, guys, I want, you know, I want to get my third degree so I can travel. You know, and I, I never actually uh, visited the lodge you know, the, the week and a half I was in Africa, but um, I got back, and uh, by December, I was a junior steward. And, you know, for the next 10, 11 years, I, I wore a tuxedo every night. You know, I, I went through two tuxedos. The first one I probably wore 200 times if I wore it once. <laughs> you know, and I, people look at me now, and I, I've, I've gone through a few positions in the Grand Line, and, and I, I laugh, and I say, I've got six tuxedos. You know, you, you've got the white jacket, you've got tails, you've got morning wear, you've got a couple tuxedos that you went through in Lodge. Wow, really? Holy cow. <laughs> you know, and, and, I mean, just over time, it, it builds up, but... but for me, it's it's just been a blast being uh, again being a part of something that um, that that has such an impact on people. So, what was your year like as master? A lot of times, masters have a goal or a plan or something they want to accomplish that year, right? What was your year like? You know, <laughs> in, in hindsight, and I was telling somebody earlier this evening, there's there's a lot of things that I could have done differently. Um, you know, one of the things that I've really gotten out of masonry is it's helped me grow into. Uh, into a person who's a lot more relaxed than I was. Um, you know, I was your typical 22-year-old and knew everything and, you know, screw the rest of the world. Uh, <laughs> I know a few of those. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, people say I broke a lot of China in the East, but, you know, a couple of people have even said today, they, they look at our lodge, and I don't mean to sound arrogant, but they look at it as before Jeremy and after Jeremy. Uh, you know, and, and I, I was really, I was fortunate to come into our lodge at a time when we were just on the cusp of starting to get a lot of newer members. I came in and the average age was probably, you know, mid fifties on average. Wow. Um, I was by far the youngest guy in the room most nights. Um, so by the time I, I got to be in the East, I was doing things my own way. I didn't really kind of know how to do it. I, I wasn't great yet at building consensus. So, you know, my year was a lot of kind of the, the, the proverbial duck, you know, like trying to look calm on top while you're paddling furiously underwater. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I, I think the guys that are, that are coming through the leadership now are so blessed to have the processes that, that we've put in place since then. Um, but my year kind of got hijacked, actually, by a few things, one of which was raising dues. Uh, actually, that took, that took two-thirds of my year. <laughs> Um, I mentioned earlier our, our dues when, when I joined were $400 uh, lifetime membership. And we realized uh, my year that we spent about $20 a night per person between parking and food and rent and everything else. 
uh, which meant that you know by the end of a year we meet 20 times a year we've spent your money dollars, yeah. you know and so this thing that goes into <clears throat> the perpetual membership fund and you're you know it's supposed to give you your dues for the rest of your life is gone your first year um, so we ended up raising the dues to $2,500 but uh, and by dues I mean our, you know our, our perpetual membership fee the one-time fee uh, but that took I mean that took close to you know six or eight meetings to do you know three four months uh, we, we had several votes and there was a lot of contention about it um, and it ended up being successful but uh, that was a that was a big kind of thing in my year um, the other thing that you know sort of like Cosmo's done with Prometheus, Prometheus Lodge um, I thought it would be cool to hold a Vail Lodge in Washington DC something that had never been done before you know and, and part of that is is because of the lack of privacy in DC but we said hey look you know these other places they have mountaintop lodges they have valley lodges you know how can we do that in Washington uh, so we spent a lot of time trying to prepare with the National Park Service uh, and ended up in early September with a full moon night, uh, you know, where all the brethren were out there. We did the third degree, you know, on Theodore Roosevelt Island in the middle of the night. Uh, it was that fabulous. is so cool. Yeah, it was a fabulous experience. Uh, wow. But, I mean, you know, case in point, um, <laughs> the guy who was, who was mastered two years ago, or actually last year, one of my close friends, Joe Baruti, um, he was getting his third degree that night and I'd been running around so much and here I was giving the degree and, and I completely blanked in the middle of the obligation and he fed me my lines as a candidate <laughs> <laughs> because he'd practiced so hard That's you know, the first and second degree and, and some of it's the same thing and like I, I just I blanked on an easy spot and he fed it to me and everybody laughed and we kept going but you know it's indicative of kind of how the year went um, it, it wasn't so well planned off the cuff <laughs> yeah I, I didn't have a whole lot of it's not that I didn't have support because everyone in the lodge was amazing, but I didn't have um, someone next to me all the time going, you know, to be there to say, hey, this is what I want to do. Part of that was my personality, you know, but this is what I want to do. How do we do it the best? How can I plan for it? You know, I didn't have a year planned in advance. You know, I thought in March, oh, this will be fun. And so we bust <laughs> our tails, you know, by September it happens. And we didn't actually find out until the week before that the National Park Service had approved it. You know, um, whereas now they have the opportunity to say, look, you know, we've, we've, we've watched all this stuff happen for three years or whatever. Um, we're going to, we're going to redo this. We're going to tweak that. We're going to change that. But there are smaller changes, not so much these kind of monumental, uh, events. So long answer to a short question, but my year was very ad hoc and, and probably more work than it could have been, but, but it ended up being okay. Tell me, you told me another story about the year that you were master. There was a book written about your year mm -hmm. tell me tell me that story because that's an amazing story sure so so dan brown is is by now a famous author and uh his book the lost symbol uh was originally called the solomon key but it, it uh it focused on the masons and it focused on the masons in washington dc uh and, and a couple cool things that happened out of that so it was 2009 when the book came out and that was also the year i was master um, the book started uh with the, the severed hand of an individual being placed in the capital rotunda in a particular position and of course this caused a lot of consternation in the book etc cetera, etc cetera. well Potomac Lodge is the only lodge mentioned by name in that book and it turns out that the hand was cut off of the master of Potomac Lodge who at the time was me <laughs> so you know out of that almost every night for a good two three months we had like 15 or so random guys just show up going what is this thing called masonry what is this thing called potomac i mean we we literally had tours 
you know, before lodge because we just tell them, hey, show up for dinner, you know, like we always do. You know, you're always welcome for dinner. That's great. Um, and, and so they show up and we tour them around and, and not many stayed and that's fine. Um, but the other thing that happened was um, Matt Lauer decided to, to interview um, Dan Brown on MSNBC. And when they did that, MSNBC called our Grand Lodge and said, hey, you know, do you have anyone that could speak to us and do sort of a lead in from the Washington Masons? And um, they said, sure, we've got this guy named Jeremy. And they called me up and said, hey, you know, uh, we got this call. It's today. Sorry for the late notice. They just called us. <laughs> <laughs> Can you come down That's to TV board? Yeah. Right, exactly. Can you come down to the TV studio and, and sit in for the interview? And I said, well, yeah, no, I can't because my senior warden's getting married tomorrow. And, we, you know, my junior warden and I are driving up to New York for the ceremony. And they said, okay, well, you know, let's see if we can call it in and that'll be fine because, you know, we think you're a good person to do it because of all the stuff that's going on. And so they called and fine and, and, and that was that. And, and the interview was going to be in about three hours. We were just leaving anyway. Um, so I had found a picture, you know, a good headshot of me that I could send over to them so they know who they were talking to. Um, the funny thing was actually, you know, so, well, setting that aside, I, I, we, I ended up doing the interview in my pickup truck on, uh, at a rest area on the side of the New, the New Jersey Turnpike. Um, so, so the setting was not optimal to start with. <laughs> um, little did I know... So this was a couple of years after President Ford had died, um, and and this will all make sense in a minute. But um, President Ford uh, laid in state in the Capitol Rotunda uh, for a couple of days, and uh, the the D.C. Masons had set up um, uh, kind of a, a, a central visit to President Ford. I was junior steward at the time, so it's like it was about five years or so before I was master. Um, and, you know, we go through the whole line, we get there, and everybody, you know, walks up, pay, pays their respects. And, man, you know, if they hadn't, I, I don't know how they did it, it must have been facial recognition software or something. I sent them my picture, and little did I know, but they were playing footage of me paying my respects to President Ford in the interview as I'm doing the interview from the side of the New Jersey Turnpike. And all they've ever seen of me is this headshot that they got like two hours prior. Holy cow, that's. It's, it was scary. It was incredible. <laughs> you, really, you know, and you can still go online and see the interview. It's it's, wow. it's great. Um, but you know, they started out by asking me, you know, are the Masons responsible for UFOs and all this sort of thing? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so so it was kind of a wide ranging interview, and and um, and and I handled myself reasonably. It wasn't bad, but uh, <laughs> at one point, you know, they they got into the whole. Well, they started showing some of the stuff you've seen on the History Channel. Right, you know, people with hoods on, you know, going through these rituals, you know, deep dark voices, kind of like my sick voice talking, you know, uh, saying all these crazy things, and and you know, nothing abnormal for Masons, but things if you take them out of context sound weird. Right. And they start asking, well, do you know, do you do death rituals in your lodge? You know, blah blah blah. And I offhandedly said, well, no, you know, it's it's not a matter of death rituals. They're they're serious ceremonies. You know, they're meant to be serious, and and we underscore them with with language that's serious to make a point. You know, it's not like we do crazy things like kill chickens or anything. Um, and, and it's kind of disappointing, actually, because as they were leading into the next interview, they were chuckling about killing chickens, and I wish they had left that in the interview because um, it was a good little segue out. But um, <laughs> So we finished the interview. It goes fine. Uh, the wedding was absolutely amazing. Uh, uh, Worship World of Kushner has a, an amazing wife, and, and they had such an aura of love at their wedding. But, um, you know, I get into Lodge a week later, um, Dean Clatterbuck, right worship brother Dean Clatterbuck, who who ultimately served as, as secretary for 26 years in Potomac, uh, such an amazing man, well known around the jurisdiction, was chairman of the jurisprudence committee, kind of knows how our Grand Lodge works better than almost anybody else. 
uh, he's my sitting secretary. You know, like 22, 23 years into his term. Dean Clatterbuck. Clatterbuck, okay. And uh, and and I'm a relatively new master, right? So I, you know, I'm you can still got the shine on me. You know? <laughs> and uh, and at one point in the night, I look at him and I say, "Well, you know, Worshipful Sir, is there anything else on your table?" And he goes, "You know, Worshipful, actually there is." I'm like, "Really? Something you didn't tell me about?" Okay. Uh, and he starts lighting into me. We had just put a computer on his on his table, and he goes, "You know." I can tell you've been over here mucking around with this computer, and I got to tell you, Worshipful, I really don't appreciate it. And at this point, I'm starting to get red, you know, because a secretary doesn't call out the master in lodge, and certainly not in the tone that Dean was using. And Dean knows better than just about every secretary on the face of the planet how to be a good secretary. And here he is yelling at me, and like oh, the whole lodge is staring at him, like you know, has he flown off the deep end? Like what's going on? And I don't, I don't know what to do. You know, I mean, oh, sure, you can wrap the guy down. You know, it's like, I didn't know what was going on, and it was Dean. He's not the guy you wrap down. You know, he's clearly got a point. So he just, he keeps tearing into me, and I, you know, and finally he goes, you know what, Worshipful, I'm just, I'm sick and tired of it, and I've got something for you. And he pulls out a rubber chicken and throws it at me in the east. <laughs> and he goes, we don't kill chickens, huh? I'm like, oh, good Lord. Like I didn't realize the interview got that. Your legacy, your legacy is rubber chickens, and they they still have it in in the vault in our lodge. You know, it's one of those chickens that you squeeze it, and when you let go, it screams. Oh my god! So it's flying through the air from the secretary's table to the east. It's like ah, screaming through the air. It it was it was really funny, but um, you know that that year was was marked by a lot of fun things. So speaking of, one of the things I always ask is, can you, and that's a, a, an excellent story, but I'll ask anyway in case you have any other ones. Any other funny or interesting stories you can think of in your time in masonry that kind of mean a lot to you? Uh, I mean, almost every day there's a new story, you know. I mean, for, for someone like me that, that, you know, again, think of the gavel, you know, coming out to share the gavel, you know, even today, someone came up to me randomly, and it was the wife of a mason, and and the only thing that she wanted to say was that she had gone back in her history, um, and I, I believe uh, the last name of, of her ancestor was Savage. Linda Savage. I okay. just had dinner with her. <laughs> yeah, well, she just told us this story. Right, and, and she found out that George Washington, you know, and and her ancestor hung out together. They were buddies. They lived right. close to each other. She told me they lived by each other. Right, and, you know, and it's like there was nothing more to the story. There's nothing that had to do with me. It was just she was excited about her ancestry and her tie to George Washington, and I mattered to that conversation because I was part of bringing the gavel. You know, so so it's like these things happen all the time to us. And, and it's always amazing that I'm telling you that you would tell that story, and I just had dinner with her right. and her husband, and she just told me the same story. Right. I mean, it's like crazy. And, and I mean, you know, these weird things, you know, sort of happen in masonry all the time. I mean, you know... Again, I mentioned earlier, I had the opportunity to, to serve a couple of positions in, in the Grand Lodge, um, Grand Tyler, Grand Marshal, and Grand Swordbearer. And, you know, so I got the opportunity to go see a lot of different lodges, a lot of different places. And, and um, just the way people approach masonry is, is amazing to me. Um, maybe maybe one of the, the kind of more random stories that you might hear, um, a couple of years ago, our lodge twinned with George Washington Lodge Number 21 uh, under the auspices of the Grand Lodge du Gabon. In, uh, in Western Africa, uh, so we got to go over there for their uh, their 30th anniversary. Um, I was the sitting secretary at the time, uh, and the master senior warden and I went to Gabon to formally do the twinning. Um, the president of Gabon is their grandmaster, right? So he was there. Wow. 
Um, the folks that are members of George Washington Lodge are all like ministers in the government. Uh, you know, so the relationships that we've built over there are incredible. Um, they've come over to visit us twice. You know, we're hoping to go back over there uh, either this year or next. Um, and, and during that twinning ceremony, we actually, um, uh, our, our sitting master sat as senior warden. Our junior warden sat as senior deacon. No, I was senior deacon. I forget where the junior warden sat, or senior warden sat. But um, we initiated uh, a guy named uh, Francois Xavier Dancy, who actually lives in Vegas. Uh, and last year when they came over uh, to visit us, we raised them together. Oh, they sat in our lodge. Wow. So their master sat as our senior warden. And he came in from Vegas. And he came in from Vegas and got raised. And, and it's, cool. you know, kind of projects like these where you really kind of bring things together are amazing. Um, if you can bear with me, I'll, I'll give you one more. Sure. Um, you know, D.C., one of the things that I love about D.C. is our ability to really practice Freemasonry, right? You walk down the street, you see every creed, every religion, every culture, every color, you know, anything that you can possibly imagine you have in D.C. And, and so we don't have the opportunity to say fairly things like, you're black so you can't sit in my lodge, you're gay so you can't sit in my lodge. You know, we really take on the level to heart. And, I mean, in our lodge we have five, five holy books on the, on the altar that represent the different, you know, faiths in our, in our lodge. Um, and that's not counting other faiths that might be in other lodges, you know, Catholic, or excuse me, Christians, Jews, um, Muslim, um, you know, we've got the Bodhisattva for, for Buddhists, uh, we've got a Jain in our lodge. Um, and, and Jain? Yeah, a Jain. What's that? Uh, it's, it's kind of, you can almost call it extreme Buddhism. Oh, okay. Um, we actually had a whole presentation on it. He's currently sitting as our treasurer. Um, Davil Shah is a great guy. Um, but, but the point is, you know, we have the opportunity to really practice kind of masonry at the tip of the spear, you know, because we're inundated with such differences, you know, in, in all of our members. That and I think the average person doesn't understand that about masonry. Exactly, exactly. And one of the ways that it really plays out is what we call um, international brotherhood. So in, in 2001, um, we, started, uh, we started the now a tradition in D.C. of having um, uh, multicultural lodges or international lodges. And by now we have, I want to say, 10 or 12 lodges out of our 42 in, in D.C. That's, that do their work in different languages. So we have a lodge that works in Farsi, a lodge that works in Spanish, a lodge that works in Portuguese. That just makes sense in D.C. Right. In, in Italian, in French, in, you know, Persian. I mean, you name it, right? Uh, wow. And And they're all kind of, you know, niche lodges. Um, we, we've, we recently uh, have a Haitian lodge and a Filipino lodge. Um, but the cool thing is... Uh, whether or not it's a lodge that's that's sort of you know not really a mother lodge or or you know it's guys from other lodges that get together and share this or say the Filipino lodge where they're kind of a larger more stable lodge um, we come together every year in what we call the International Brotherhood celebration uh, and, and it celebrates the universality of, of Freemasonry and there's a banquet and all all like that but uh, on the Friday of that weekend we do something really cool called the International Brotherhood Lodge so we get everybody together. And we open on the entered apprentice degree, so there are many as many speaking parts as possible. And everyone in the speaking role speaks a different language. So Holy you go God. around the room, and you're sitting there. And you know, I, I sat as master uh, one, you know, my year, uh, and and 
you know exactly where to jump in. But you have no <laughs> that idea would be what confusing. to say. Yeah, that would be confusing. You know, so 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 it's all about. Hey, look, we're all here doing the same thing, even if I don't know what you're doing. And and again, the opportunity to be in D.C. and to really kind of live this in person is 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 such a fascinating experience. So you've been you've been a Mason for ten plus years. You said right, twelve, yeah. twelve years. Why why do you keep doing it? What are you getting out of it? Everything I just said, you know. I mean, it's like you know, and I gotta say, I mean, for me, I I stepped out of the role of secretary this year to focus on work, um, so I've been a little bit less engaged than I have uh, in the past. But you know, masonry really turned me into the person that I am. The I'll say the 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 grown man that looks at people and doesn't prejudge them doesn't demand that they do it my way, you know, doesn't think that they're wrong for not doing it my way. And, and people that know me will tell you uh, that's very much, you know, used to be me. A change, you know? definite change for you. Absolutely. I mean, it was my way or the highway, and, and it wasn't because uh, I thought other people were wrong. It was because I thought that I had thought about my position so much that I couldn't be anything but right. You know, and, and they say five plus two is seven, and uh, four plus three is seven. Right, exactly. You know, and and it never occurred to me that, you know, my five plus two is somebody else's four plus three. <laughs> right, and and I've I've really been able to become kind of circumspect about, okay, this is what I bring. We may be here doing the same thing, but you bring something completely different. And and not only does that not make you wrong, it doesn't make me right. It makes us here for the same reason with different backgrounds, and I can learn from that. So you mentioned Dean before as one of those people that you really respected. Anybody else who, who's really made a big impact on you as a Mason or has, has really affected you, stood out as a leader to you, those, those sorts of things? You know, we're, we're lucky in D.C. To, to have well over a dozen past grandmasters, and in such a small jurisdiction, we see them all the time. Um, and, and, you know, those men certainly jump out as, uh, to me as, as a lot of folks that... Um, that, that I can take lessons from. Um, I mean, going all the way back to someone like Jim Burns, who, you know, was a past grandmaster and around all the time. And, you know, you'd say, oh, how you doing, Jim? And, you know, how you doing, Most Worshipful? You know, better every day than yesterday. You know, and, and, and you know, for me, it, it's it's funny to say it's, it's kind of about quiet leadership because that's not really my leadership style. Um, you know, Dean's definitely a, a mentor of mine. Um, I, it's it's so hard to pick out individual people, to be honest. I mean, we've got such a great team at Potomac. You mentioned to me one thing you said before, and this is probably the last thing, and then we'll, we'll let you close because we've been doing this a while. But you mentioned if you really flip it on you, how do you try to lead other men? And you mentioned before there's some things that you do. What, how are you setting an example for those new guys? Sure. So, you know, it used to be that I would I would try and do everything myself and then tell people to do things and be pissed off when they didn't come up to my standard and, you know, all this sort of thing. Um, and, and that's been a big change that I'm still working through. Um, but I, I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to become is someone who is better able to lead from behind and, and put thoughts in people's heads that, hey, you know, there's a reason why we might do this and let me tell you about the reason. Um, you know, more of a mentoring style. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I mentioned to you earlier before we started the interview is, is you know, talking to a petitioner. And, and, and a lot of times you see people show up and say, well, I'm really interested in the fraternity and the camaraderie. And, and I'll turn it around and say, well, you know, what if I told you that masonry was, was the loneliest thing you could do? 
you know, trying to trying to spur the thought that, hey, maybe this is about my personal growth and it's an organization that, that can put me in a good place to grow personally and, and not just get a party out of it. Um, so, you know, I, I bet if, if people listen to me, you know, in this interview, they'll, they'll say, Jeremy's not really like that. And, you know, over time I'm becoming that and, and, uh, and I hope more and more to become that uh, for people, someone that, that they can go to as a resource and, and get, you know, a lot of good thoughts that they can then run with as opposed to a lot of you must do this and here's why. Any, any closing thoughts or last things you'd like to share? Um, you know, I mean, for me, and I, I've kind of said this in a lot of different ways, but, but masonry is really um, a, a great framework that people can use to change the world. Um, we're, we're blessed in D.C. to have such a, a, a diverse group of everything um, that, that we really get kind of front and center view of what the world looks like in our small little town. Um, and, and we get to take all of the people that we meet, you know, kind of with us as we go out into the world. Um, and and interact with people that maybe don't have that diversity of experience, and and remind them that hey you know yeah, you know lodged here is a certain way, but here's some other experiences that we've had that you know maybe you can benefit from. And hey let's take the experiences that you've built over here and 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 you know bring it back home to us so that we can be better. So you know I guess in closing for me the most the most fun of it all is is really interacting with everyone. And, and again, that's what brought me here in the first place tonight, which is, you know, bringing the gavel here and sharing it. And I have to say thank you for that, because for me, it's like uh, the gavel, I guess, is kind of like a celebrity. Like, you know, I have, I have heard about it. I've actually been to the Potomac website and read about it and knew about it. And then, like, to actually have it come here and to be close to it and take a picture and to see it. And, I mean, it gives me goosebumps just to think about it. I'm sure people tell you this all the time, but it's just so it's like one of those things you never even think would happen when you become a mason in phoenix arizona you're nowhere near washington lodge so i guess i would say thank you very much for doing that thank you for spending time for an interview with me i appreciate it and uh good luck in your travels thanks yeah this is this is something you can't keep in the closet and uh <laughs> you know that speaks so much about masonry it's 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 here to share